Welcome to the Daily Office Lectionary. I'm Father Reed. Today we are going to look at the scripture readings for the third Sunday in Lent. The third Sunday in Lent. We have five Sundays in Lent, followed by Holy Week, which culminates with the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Last week we looked at three sections of scripture in the Old Testament. We looked at Genesis and the exploits of Joseph. We'll continue that today. Secondly, we looked at Paul's letter to the Corinthians as they dealt with many issues in the church. We will continue to look at that uh, book of the Bible and a continued problem with the Corinthians. We can learn much from their questions and their problems because much uh, has not changed uh, in 2,000 plus years. We're still dealing with the same issues. So we can learn from 1 Corinthians. And we continue in the Gospel of Mark, and we see Jesus healing and setting people free, teaching, even uh, controlling the wind and the waves. He walks on water. He raises the dead. He heals people. He deals with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He deals with the scribes. He deals with the lawyers. He's dealing with the common person. He's just an extraordinary person. And what Mark is doing is he's sharing the daily uh, life of Christ in his three-year ministry. And uh, we see how Jesus is dealing with the issues that he uh, is faced with on a daily basis. Well, let's go back to Genesis chapter 44. So we'll start in 44 verse 1. Now mentioned last week that I asked you in your reading uh, in chapters 42 and 43 to deal with the exploits of uh, Joseph and his brothers. Now remember that Pharaoh had dreams that were very, very concerning to him. So he looked around for people that could interpret his dream. And it came to him that there was a man in jail, in a dungeon, that was Jewish, that could interpret dreams. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and Joseph heard the dream and interpreted it and actually gave him his analysis, his solution to what Pharaoh needed to do as a result of what God had told Joseph, who told the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh concluded that the person that should occupy the position that Joseph suggested was Joseph himself. Joseph then is made second in one of the most powerful countries in the world, if not the most powerful, Egypt. A stunning change of events. He was given a gold chain, beautiful robes, and even a wife. Now eventually, Joseph had to deal with his brothers. And remember, his brothers, chapter 37, threw him in a cistern. And they were going to leave him for dead. Fortunately, the cistern had no water. They pulled him out and sold him when they saw travelers coming. He was sold to Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's leadership and Potiphar's wife eventually uh, told a lie on him and Joseph ended up in jail. So Joseph got sold by the brothers who then the people that bought him sold him to Potiphar. 
Potiphar was a very powerful person in Egypt, and Joseph was doing very well until Potiphar's wife messed it all up. He ended up in jail, but God had a greater plan. And as I said earlier, in the dream sequence, he was able to answer his dreams because the dreams were interpreted by God, whom Joseph trusted. This is an amazing act of God's sovereignty, God's providence, God's uh, care, even with Joseph in prison, and God's saving the nation of Egypt. Why? Because Egypt needed to be saved, and Joseph needed to be in a position of leadership so that Joseph could eventually help Israel and help his brothers and father. Otherwise, they would have perished and the Messiah, the whole idea of the Messiah coming would have been over. Okay, so that's what we're getting to um, in these readings. And we will be finished with chapter 50 next week. All right, in chapter 44, 45, 46, and 47 is what we'll be looking at today in the beginning of 48. So Joseph is dealing with them in chapter 44, and you'll see in this post, the scriptures are listed for you. Please look at chapter 44. It would take too much to explain it to you uh, in terms of the time I have allotted to share with you. So read chapter uh, 44, and then in chapter 45, Joseph calls them all together, the brothers together, and he and they don't know who he is. They see him, but they do not recognize him. He is, he's, it is not readily apparent who he is. But in chapter 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they come close to him, they said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He says in verse 7, God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Much as God is going to save Israel with the exodus, with Moses, God once again saved them previously with Joseph and exalted Joseph to a tremendous place of power so that by Joseph's position of power, he was able to help his brothers and save Israel from certain death. They would have starved to death. This is an extraordinary miracle. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. The providence of God, the sovereignty of God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen. Now remember Goshen, Exodus chapter 1, is going to be the place where the Israelites are going to camp and live and prosper and do well until another Pharaoh comes along and it's going to mess it all up. And we, now we go into the bricks and the mortar and them being slaves. And then we have the entry of Moses. But that's a later subject. And so, in chapter 45, we deal with his um, disclosing himself to his brothers. Bring your, fa your father and your families back to me, verse 18. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will enjoy the fat of the land. And they did. They, did. they prospered very, very well, and the Egyptians were very kind to them. 
Leadership is important, people. It's very important. In this particular situation with Pharaoh, they had a wonderful, wonderful leader who was very strongly supportive. So in verse 25, they came out of Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They said, Joseph is still alive. In fact, he's the ruler of all Egypt. Jacob was stunned. I bet he was. He did not believe them. But when they told him everything that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts that Joseph had sent to carry him back, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel, remember his name is Israel, the one who strives with God. I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Jacob goes to Israel, uh, goes to Egypt, I'm sorry, in chapter 46. And God spoke to him in a vision in verse 2. So read on through there. These are the names of the Israelites who sent them out to Egypt. And so he lists them in chapter 46. In chapter 47, Joseph goes to Pharaoh, my father and my brothers, verse 1, with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come to the land of Canaan and now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. And he got tremendous respect from Pharaoh. And um, so Joseph settled his father and his brothers, verse 11, gave them property in the best part of the land, the district of Ramses, as Pharaoh directed. Joseph also provided his father and brothers and all his father's household with food according to the number of their children. I mean, this man was extraordinary. And then you read the rest of chapter 47, the first part of 48, about how God uh, established them in the land of Goshen, and they had property, and they increased greatly in number, verse 27. And he lived in Egypt 17 years, Jacob did, before he died. This was an astonishing move of God to save the people of Israel by using a man that was thrown into a cistern, pretty much left for dead. He was certainly going to die. Sold into Egypt, falsely accused. But God gave him a, gave him a gift that even Pharaoh could not deny. Raises him to leadership and God uses him to save Israel. Enjoy your reading. It's fascinating. We'll conclude next week. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, amazingly, when we met last week from 1 Corinthians, we had these extraordinary situations that Paul had to deal with. Can you imagine the amount of wisdom he needed to have? He was dealing with an immoral brother. He was dealing with a question of his apostleship. There were lawsuits, there was sexual immorality in their midst and how to deal with sexual immorality. He talked about marriage and how to deal with marriage. In chapter 7, verse 25, beginning this week, I, he says, uh, what about virgins? Virgins. He's, he's talking about that particular issue. He's talking about unmarried men and how to please the Lord again. Beautiful lines. Let's look at verse 39. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. So there's a very strong uh, witness here that we need to be in the Lord. Uh, we need to be, uh, if you will, Christian people. We need to be uh, husband and wife uh, following the Lord and doing his will. 
So the issues of marriage, which are very important today, uh, much of that is solved in chapter 7. In chapter 8, he's dealing with a, uh, an issue that's, a, that's hard for us to imagine, and that is food sacrificed to idols. Should I eat food sacrificed to idols? What does that say about God? What does that say about the relationship with God? He says in verse 9, Be careful that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Now, you may not think the food sacrificed to idols because the idols aren't real. But if your brother has a problem and you're eating something sacrificed to idols in terms of your witness, you might not want to do it. Watch your witness. This is the locus classicus text about how you and I might do something as Christian people that we think is okay to do. But someone watching us may not have the same view. So it's better for us not to do that thing than to have our brothers stumble, okay? You may not be doing something that's in any way sinful, but that person may regard it. And so watching our witness, this is a very, very uh, uh, good teaching about that, and it's not an easy thing to do. He says, in verse 13 to conclude, Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. I know the meat's not a problem, but if my brother thinks it is a problem and that in my eating it, my witness decreases so that when that brother watches me, he thinks less of me, he says, that's not worth it. That's not worth it. So I just won't eat meat. That way there won't be a problem. Okay. Chapter 9 and then chapter 10. The rights of an apostle. Okay, we're back to that again. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? I have not I seen Jesus as Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the, in the Lord? Even though, verse 2, I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you. You are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. We're discussing who Paul is in terms of him being an apostle of the Lord. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? So they're talking about their relationship with one another. And so again, the study notes at the bottom of the page, if you have a study Bible, might be helpful in helping you discern this topic. He says in verse 19, Though I am free and belong to no man, I myself am a slave to everyone to win as many people as possible. He said, I know I'm free, but I'm still serving you so that you may know the Lord. I become all things to all men, verse 22. By all means possible, I might save some. I do this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. I'm, I, Paul, am trying to do the best that I can do to win people for Christ, for people to become Christians. I am sacrificing and giving up myself so that I can do that. And so one of my favorite scriptures in, in Corinthians is in 24 to uh, 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. We're in a race, folks. Run is to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it for a crown that will not last, but we do it for a crown that lasts forever. That's temporal versus eternal. Eternal is far more important. 
verse 26. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it to slaves so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. He takes his Christianity seriously. He takes his relationship with Christ seriously. He takes his witness seriously. He's asking us to do the same thing. Finally, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, section, uh, we're looking at chapter 10, 1 to 13. And he's talking about warnings from Israel's history. He says in verse 8, we should not commit sexual immorality. Remember, he talked about that in chapter 6. As some of them did, we should not test the Lord as some of them did. We should not grumble as some of them did. Verse 12, so if you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall, lest ye fall. If you think you're safe, better be careful. Those guys thought they were safe, but they've gotten themselves in a lot of trouble. A lot of people quote verse 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. No, but you got to look for it. The temptation may be impossible. This is a great point to remember. But God is going to provide a way out. Ask him for a way out so that you can stand up under the temptation without succumbing to it and sinning against God. Paul is looking at history in that 10th chapter and saying, hmm, we got a rich history of doing wrong. We can learn from that. Let's learn from the past. Paul was a great respecter of the past and he knew the past of his, uh, history uh, in Israel very well. He knew the Old Testament very well. Let's see how we can learn from that and apply it in such a way that we are blessed by that action. Let's return back to Jesus in Mark chapter 5 where we left him. We left him with a very dramatic healing of a demon-possessed man who had so many demons that demons were called legion. All right, a dead girl and a sick woman. Remember I said that Jesus can raise people from the dead? Well, he can heal a woman who was subject to bleeding for 12 years, did everything she could, touched the edge of his cloak, Bleeding stopped. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from her, your suffering, he says to the woman. Jairus is, is a synagogue ruler. His daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. So he takes Peter, James, and John. There's crying and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus raises her from the dead. I mean, what can the man not do? You would think that someone that could calm the wind and the waves and cast out devils and heal people dramatically and raise someone from the dead would get a significant amount of honor. But look at chapter 6. Jesus went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. He began to teach in the synagogue. And they said, where did the man get all this skill? Where did he get all these things? How did he get this wisdom? He even does miracles. Isn't this a carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters with us? They took offense at him. Scandalon is the Greek word. He was a scandal. Jesus said, only in his hometown, among his relatives in his own house, is a prophet without honor. 
He goes back home, they don't receive him. He could do no miracles there, that's amazing. Except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Lack of faith will, will and can nullify God's action in your life. Can nullify miracles even. Be very careful. Jesus sends out the 12 in chapter 6 to do miracles. They anointed sick people with oil and healed them. And then we have his cousin in a horrifying situation. Jesus hears about the beheading of John the Baptist. It's a beautiful story. And then at the end of the chapter, he feeds the 5,000 and he walks on water. Now that's 5,000 men. So his cousin is beheaded. Horrible tragedy. He goes out and he teaches and 5,000 men, now this is not including the women and children, they're sheep without a shepherd. He teaches them, it's late. What do you have? Five loaves and two fish, which is about nothing. They sit down in groups on the green grass. They sit down in groups of hundreds and fifties. He breaks the loaves. They were satisfied. They had 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The men who had eaten was 5,000. Women and children, probably 15,000, maybe 20. And, and a miracle that's incomprehensible. Then he walks on water. That's as incomprehensible as feeding 20,000 people in five loaves and two fish. The last sentence in chapter 6, they begged him to let him touch even the edge of his clothes, and all who touched him were healed. He just keeps doing miracles. He keeps showing himself to be the Messiah. In chapter 7, clean and unclean. And he's talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees. They don't get it, folks. They just don't get it. And so there's this wonderful tete-a-tete between the two of them. You have to let go, verse 8, of the commands of God, and you're holding on to the traditions of men. You're not listening to me. You're not honoring me. You honor with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You're, you're not honoring me with your heart. I want your heart, not your traditions. Unless your traditions lead to a heartfelt response to Christ. There's a lot to think about this week. Lots of beautiful scriptures. Take your time. Read daily. Pray. Listen. Do some study as the Lord leads you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. Think about some of the issues that we brought up today. Pray about them in this seasonal Lent. And may the Lord bless you abundantly. May the Holy Spirit lead you into all truth. God bless you in your study of the week of third Lent, third Sunday in Lent. Next week, we'll be looking at the fourth Sunday in Lent. God bless you.